While the college basketball season is 13 days old, today is the 14th day. We're recording on November 18th, a Monday. And there are two NCAA officials who have worked a game every night of the season. They are uh, Mr. Keith Ayers and... Did I get these wrong again already? Roger Roger Ayers Ayers and and Keith Keith Kimball. Kimball. Somehow I was going to get into... Um, Richard Kimball, and I was like, no, 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 that's wrong. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Roger Harris and Keith Kimball, all 13 days, Brendan. You you work hard yourself, but what do you think about these uh, these two officials? Well, um, Roger Ayers has been mostly based in the eastern part of the country. Started, he, he did it to opening night. He was the Duke-Kansas game, game we can discuss if you want, Tom, or we cannot discuss. Keith Kimball did Kansas State-North Dakota stay on the opening day, so they both did Kansas teams. Maybe that's the way that you end up doing a lot of games to start with Kansas teams. Keith Kimball's mostly been Texas and Western-based. He's done games in Midland, El Paso, College Station, Fort Worth, and also L.A., Marega, California, uh, Tempe, Arizona. And I guess the question is, oh, well, Roger, as I mentioned, he's in the East Coast mainly. He did, he's done a game in New York, a couple in New York, a couple in Virginia, a couple in Massachusetts, um, and he's also done games in Chicago and, and Oklahoma. Most recently yesterday did Oklahoma State seven-point win over Yale. Um, so the question is, how long will they go until they stop going? Um, I want to just note that it's, uh, we're about the 38 second mark approximately. And I've gotten my first, uh, prompt to log into KenPom.com. <laughs> so that's a good thing. La- last year they worked, let's see. Well, actually Roger Ayers took three days off the second week of the season, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the 13th, 15th, 14th, and 15th, and also the 18th off. So he only actually worked in the... First 13 days of the season, nine days, which is this year is very much different. Downright slacking, yeah. Yeah. Keith Kimball, on the other hand, he worked the first um, all the way through. He missed the Wednesday, the second Wednesday of the of the season, and then he the next Tuesday, which would be tomorrow. So he worked 12 of the first 13 days, 13 of the first 14 days, and then he missed on the Tuesday. Um, so based on that history, I have to think that Roger Ayers is probably running out of steam. This is not Calvin we're talking about. This is more like, uh, you know, a, a, this is more like a normal guy that plays 140 games a season. And if we didn't take the MLB analogy further, so I would say that Keith Kimball keeps it going. Roger Ayers takes a day or two off this week and gets ready for those Thanksgiving tournaments next week. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably right. And what did tournament did Ayers do last year? He started off. Did he do anything? He did. Uh, he went to Hawaii last year. He did. Mm. Uh, he did Lahaina. Yeah, Lahaina. So that was Duke. Uh, he did the Duke San Diego State game. Then he did um, Gonzaga Arizona, and then he did Xavier Illinois. So that was the uh, that's the Maui Invitational. And then he uh, went straight from Hawaii to Las Vegas. Did two games in Las Vegas. This year he's really uh, yeah he hasn't really left the Northeast. So I don't know. It's an interesting uh, schedule they keep. It's pretty easy if you can go. You just have to drive to an airline hub and then you can fly anywhere. But I'm trying to think what which is the worst drive he had to do today somehow he had to go from lexington virginia to amherst mass which isn't that... i see in kentucky no lexington virginia i see in virginia oh he did oh, presbyterian oh, yeah. vm see this is what i don't roger Ayers on november 11th look this is a top 10 referee in college basketball what are you doing doing presbyterian vmi like mm. <laughs> the that's two nights. And not, not even a, it's it's the it's the worst cameron too it's cameron hall not cameron indoor arena yeah where the key debts play. The key debts. Is that where the key debts play, or is that where Presbyterian plays? I don't even know. Uh, yeah, it's where the key debts play. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, I know it's, you only have four months, you want to get as many games in as possible. And like, I guess if you could work four days every month and just fly everywhere uh, and drive everywhere for four months and get the rest of the year off, um, you would do it. But it's a very interesting life these men lead. So we'll see. We'll check back in next week to see uh, if uh, Ayers and Kimball have uh, maintained their vigorous pace. Well, I have one more question before we, we go to the, the show proper, as they say. <laughs> There's nothing proper about this show, but go on. <laughs> so you being a maven of airline patterns and, and hubs and that sort of thing, where do you think these two guys live based on where they fly, where they end up? Uh, Would you have to guess like where they live? I'm going to guess that they live. This guy, uh, Roger Ayers, lives somewhere in the mid-Atlantic. That's my guess. Come um, on. you got to be more specific. I'll, I'll, tell, you, I like, I I'll say like uh, Arlington, Virginia. Virginia. Okay, what about Keith Kimball? I haven't seen Keith Kimball's schedule because I can't, I can't get into He's it. He's a lot of Texas. Maybe he lives in Houston yeah, or Dallas possible, maybe? Yeah, So, yeah. I can't yeah. even – how would you get to Keith Kimball's schedule on Kempom, by the way? 
I just went to the 2020 standings and oh. looked at and searched for Kimball. Where are the other? Uh, I don't know where the standings are. Go to miscellaneous. Oh, miscellaneous. There Go it. to ref ratings. There it is. How'd you find Roger Ayers? I schedule? clicked on the box score. Uh, oh. <laughs> Keith Kimball. Here we go. Let's look at Keith Kimball. Oh yeah, Texas. He's got to be. Ooh, this is looking like. Fort Worth, College Station, El Paso, Midland, West Texas. But I don't know what airline hub he would be. I bet you he's an American or a United guy out of Houston or um, Dallas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, number one in the ref rankings for 2020, our old friend Ron Groover, who last year, you may recall, we, we spoke about, he had he missed the second day of the season after doing Duke-Kentucky, that blowout uh, in Indianapolis at the Champions Classic. But then he did... 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th. He did games on 18 consecutive days, finishing up with uh, back-to-back Richmond games, VCU against Hofstra and Hampton against Richmond, and then taking a day off before then uh, doing a Duke-Indiana game in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. So these guys are not in Ron Groover territory yet, and he is the number one ranked ref this year based on the quality of games he's refereed. So we remember you, Ron Groover. And number five is DJ Carstensen, who's probably the most uh, distinctive-looking referee in the top ten. He looks like Lurch. Uh, if you ever see him, you'll, you'll know when you go to a DJ Carstensen game. Okay. <laughs> Bonus the rest of the way. Double bonus as well. That's right. Two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Welcome to episode two of season two of the Double Bonus Podcast. This season is two weeks old. Brendan and I are back. So consider yourselves warned. We have a lot to get to to talk about the first two weeks of the college basketball season. Brendan has been, I think both of us actually been flying across the country at least once in the last couple of weeks. So we've seen some college basketball. Uh, we've read about some more stuff. And Brendan, how has your first two weeks of your season gone for college basketball? Uh, the first two weeks have been um, a lot of work for work and then uh trying to catch some college basketball and scores catching the providence games when i can a, f- a few games here and there um it's been uh, it was a great start for the friars and get into that later and then they had a surprising game a, a game that i don't want to relive ever again where my alma mater northwestern played my hometown team providence in a game that was really no no win for providence and w- and and they lost and so it was a very bad loss for them literally no win damper on the first uh couple weeks of the season but uh it's fun to just see scores and look at box scores even if i haven't as much time to watch as i i would like have you seen the uh two teams in the country that are five and oh they're only two teams i i did take a peek at the uh at the rundown i i think it's uh depaul and delaware yeah is that right yeah DePaul. i know i know delaware had like a huge first week where they played in a tournament that was like a um a three-day tournament they started with uh, Bridgewater, Bridgewater. Virginia. But then they played a three-way tournament. They'd be Oakland, Southern Illinois, and UTSA. And Oakland UTSA is supposed to be pretty good entering the season, although UT- UTSA started 144th in the country and down to 209, so maybe they're not as good as we thought. DePaul, um, and again, we can get into this later, I guess, but the Big East looks really strong, but they haven't actually had a great result this year, and they lost the Gavit games 5-3, uh, to three, despite having what seems to be a quite clear uh, clearly a better conference in part because Providence lost to um, Northwestern and then um, and then Marquette lost a non-Gavitt's game game to Wisconsin on Sunday and it was a blowout and so the league has not actually been that good despite a lot of hype but DePaul has been they're 5-0 and they beat Iowa in a blowout at Iowa by 15 and though the other four wins were against um, included a win against the University of Chicago which is division three I believe um, it's been and you're seeing a start for them. They got Charlie Moore, former Cal and former Kansas player. Paul Reed's a pro. They have a couple of other transfers. Romeo Weems uh, from Arkansas. Jalen Col- Coleman-Lambs from Illinois. So it's a, it's a team that, um, you know, is good enough to be an NCAA tournament contender. And they're 5-0, and so they got to a good start. Yeah, cup, How about you, Tom? Coming yeah. up, they have a couple uh, easy games, BC and Central Michigan. Then they have Minnesota and Texas Tech. Uh, mm. big resume games there. Uh, I have been in and out. Uh, I've seen Kansas games. Obviously, uh, they lost on opening night to Duke in a game that was pretty hard to watch. And then they bounced back, played with UNC Greensboro for a half, 
uh, before pulling away, and then they destroyed Monmouth in a game that's most notable for what happened at the very end of that game. I don't know if you saw that, Brendan. Uh, uh, yeah, I heard about a dunk. People were upset about a dunk. Well, basically, uh, Greg Pappas, I believe his name is. I think it's Greg Pappas. Greg Pappas? Is real? Is that really his name? No, Pompous? sorry, George Pappas. George Pappas. Yeah. Uh, okay. He stole the ball. Tristan Unaruna was dribbling out the clock, and he snuck up behind him. I, for anyone who has not seen this clip, I suggest you find it on the internet right away. But he snuck up behind uh, Tristan Unarunas down 55, <laughs> stole the ball with like three seconds left, went the length of the court, threw it down, started <laughs> screaming. I think he said something to the effect of, I don't give a blank, I don't give a blank, was teed up for taunting. And then they lost the game by final score after Kansas made the technical free throws of 112 to 57. So he was very into um, getting that, that dunk in. He's not a starter. He played 17 minutes. He did have a 133-0 rating in the game, no doubt boosted by that uh, last-second uh, dunk. He had uh, two steals, including that one. And so it's just an interesting moment. But Kansas looks to have bounced back pretty well from a Duke game, which really, if they had just – we can just talk about it right now. If they had kept the ball at all, they would have won that game. But their offense was very good when they got a shot off and very terrible when they did not get a shot off. They turned the ball over 28 times. Mm. Brutal. Which is uh, comes out to a 35% turnover rate in that game. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the season-long stats for Kansas. Um, Devin Dotson has been excellent, it looks yes. like. Not shooting threes, but uh, doing everything else well. Um, and then they've got a good play from David McCormick, maybe a little bit better than expected. Asbuki's been good, although low usage. Um, and then neither Akbaji or Marcus Garrett has been especially good in, in a lot of minutes. Um, seems like they haven't been all too efficient despite not being that heavily used. Um, Isaiah Moss has not played that much, which is slightly surprising, um, but maybe more and more as the season goes on. And then um, Sylvia D'Souza, I, he has a really high usage and has not played very much and has not played very well. Look like. What are your thoughts? I'm just like kind of looking at the overview of the standings. How's that? So. I think Dotson obviously has been good. They've been very happy to get him back. Uh, Baji's been slightly disappointed just with the turnovers. It's tough to say because they played one really good team and then two not-so-good teams. Uh, mm-hmm. Moss did show some range from outside. Uh, in the last game, he's 7-12 from outside, which is going to be helpful for a Kansas team that lost. Um, has really gone down as far as his ability to shoot from outside, losing Svi Mahalik from two years ago, and then they lost to Gerald Vick, who was really their one good shooter last year. Um, so, And Dotson is not a very good outside shooter right now. So, and obviously, with McCormick, D'Souza, and Azubuke, those guys are not contributing too well uh, from the outside. So, they really could use just someone to space the floor with the new uh, longer three-point line this year. So, uh, Kansas, really just disappointing they lost that game to Duke because it was a chance. It was right there uh, for the taking. It was on the same night as Little Mermaid Live, and I wasn't sure which was more mm. underwater, the Kansas offense or the Little Mermaid uh, performance mm-hmm. on on ABC, mm, um, yeah, mm. but uh, no, I, I'm I'm reasonably satisfied with Kansas uh, so far. Um, coming up, they got East Tennessee State. Uh, That's a pretty good team. Tuesday night, and then they will be going to Maui to play uh, in that tournament, which is headlined by Michigan State. And then they have a game against Villanova away before Christmas, and then uh, they have a Stanford game. Uh, West, and then they start the Big 12 play. So they have a very tough, as always, uh, non-conference schedule. Uh, we'll see what they uh, do with it. Well, let's talk a little bit. You mentioned Villanova. Talk briefly about them. Um, we have very few listeners, but two of them are named Stephanie, and they both have Philadelphia ties. One I go to school with uh, right now, who's a Penn alum, and then one we work, well, you still work with, I used to work with, and she's a uh, Villanova alum. So yeah. let's spend a little time on, on the, the Wildcats. Uh, apparently, uh, I I called Eric Pascal Chris Jenkins last time. I, I sometimes get confused with my slightly non-traditional body-typed Villanova players who are really good. Um, but Eric Pascal has actually been maybe an all-rookie player so far for the Golden State Warriors. Um, I have... I do know that yes. about the uh, the NBA so far this year, a, a bad Warriors team. But Villanova is 2-1 and one with two wins against uh, poor teams and then a really weird, ugly loss to Ohio State, a team that I was very high on during the season, Ohio State, but a 25-point loss on the road in a game that it was 29-10, 10 minutes into the game. It was pretty much over before it started. 
Uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who had been one of their best players in other games this season, was terrible. Uh, Three for 11 from the field with three turnovers. Um, Sadiq Bey was maybe worse, one for eight from the field and missed both free throws. Um, And so... It was a. I mean, they were their offense was terrible. Point eight points per possession. Their defense wasn't particularly good either. They allowed sixty two percent shooting on two pointers. You know, Ohazi also made some threes, which you can't always do much about. Um, but it, it is concerning. I mean, obviously Brian Antoine is a. It should be a big part of this team if he can come back from the shoulder injury. One of the probably a first round NBA pick if he can play well and actually play this year. Um, and that's missing a lot. They've they've lost a ton from the last two teams. We we mentioned Chris Jenkins from two years ago, along with Dante DiVincenzo, and um, uh, they had. Uh, let me look at this roster. They had Mikael Bridges on that team. They had Jalen Brunson. They had Josh Hart. Um, and then last year's team had, as we mentioned, Eric Pascal and Keith uh, Phil Booth. Um, so that's losing a lot of talent off of two years uh, from a program that doesn't necessarily recruit in a way that would replace that much talent that quickly. Maybe that's what we're seeing. Or maybe it's just one bad game. Um, I don't know. Oh, Their interior a, defense. You know. It was a really bad game. They were down 31 point. Uh, Ohio State, though, is kind of the darling of the early season. They're 3-0. and They beat Cincinnati uh, second night of the season. They beat UMass Lowell. And then they came and smoked Villanova. So Caleb Wesson, of course. Has been playing okay for them. And this Villanova game, they just shot the lights out and really suffocated mm. defense. Villanova was just 9 of 32 on two point field goals. Uh, Wesson scored uh, 10 points, was very efficient, had a double double, and they got Lucas. Yeah. Oh, I think DJ Carton is a freshman for them yeah. who is uh, terrific. He was, he's been really good this season. Um, more. He's been really one of the top assist guys. He's been making two pointers. He's made three pointers. Um, yeah, I, I, he's one of the best young point guards in the country. They had CJ Walker, the transfer from Florida State. Um, they're actually playing them together a lot, which gives them a slightly smaller backcourt. But uh, they're playing good defense nonetheless with um, Chris Holtman as uh, as their coach. As always, coach good defense. Both teams are quite small, actually, Ohio State and Villanova, relatively speaking. Um, if you look at the top five guys in minutes for Ohio State, you have 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", 6'3", and 6'9". 6'9", is Wesson. Then they come off the bench with a, with a 6'8 player, uh, Kyle Young, who plays a lot. Villanova um, has struggled with um, it's also a smaller team. It's hurt them more, um, apparently, in this one game, especially trying to guard Caleb Wesson. They go... I mean, they have Jer- Jeremy Robinson Earl at 6'9", as, in, as a big, as a deep bay at 6'8", and Jermaine Samuels at 6'7", which should be big enough, and they have Gillespie and Justin Moore in the backcourt, but um, it hasn't been good enough. Well, it wasn't good enough in that one game. We'll see. The Biggies could definitely use Villanova to play better in the non-conference season because the league uh, has admittedly struggled. Uh, I think there's no way around it. Um, St. John's lost to, to Vermont. Georgetown ha- got blown out at home by Penn State. Um, we talked about DePaul, Creighton. Lost by 10 at Michigan, which isn't the worst thing ever, but Michigan was shorthanded. Talked about Providence's loss to Northwestern. Marquette's blowout loss to um, Wisconsin. Seton Hall yeah. did play Michigan State really tight at home on uh, last Thursday before falling mm-hmm. uh, 76-73. So, honestly, that's the biggest, probably their best game is a loss to Michigan State, which uh, preseason number one, hung tough. Uh and Miles Powell was amazing. Scored uh, 37 points in 34 minutes or 33 minutes, depending on how you count in the box score. He played really well, uh, but just wasn't to be as uh, Michigan State outscored him by six in the final 10 minutes. A really crazy game, back and forth game in the final uh, final 10, five or 10 minutes of this game. Yeah, uh, Powell in, his, in the previous game against uh, Stony Brook had badly injured his. Well, it seemed like a bad injury to his ankle. He missed uh, much of that game. Um, in a game that actually Seton Hall was losing for a period of time uh, relatively far into the game, but ended up winning by 17. It, it was thought that he would not be able to play against Michigan State, but he did play and played very well, uh, though Seton Hall lost. Um, so it, that's a few things we've noticed. We've kind of been pretty heavy on Kansas and the Big East. Um, anything else from around the country that you wanted to discuss from the first two weeks? Well, I think the most disappointing team in the country has been Florida. Mm. Not a good start. They're two and two. They were ranked uh, very high to start the season. They're now down to 29 in Ken Palm. They lost to a Florida State team 
6351 at home. Then they went to Connecticut at Gamble Pavilion uh, Sunday night and lost that game 6259. Connecticut is a team that lost to St. Joe's. Um, they're just not shooting really at all. They're shooting terribly. It's kind of scary how bad they're shooting. So I don't know if, it, if you think it's just something that's going to be corrected uh, uh, at some point soon or whether it's a problem uh, they have. Because they obviously have a ton of talent on this team. Um, especially if you look at like NBA draft boards, like mid-first round picks or just future NBA players. But they play very slow and they have not shot the ball well at all. And now they're 2-2 two and two, uh, and they've been very disappointed. I know they're coming up on uh, Providence's schedule uh, December mm-hmm. 17th. And uh, I think that's in Brooklyn, right? Barclays, yeah. yeah. If, if you look at uh, Mike White's history with uh, Florida, it's kind of crazy how bad sh- these teams have been shooting. 238th his first year, then 121st, which is actually his high water mark. 179th his third year, 218th last year, and now 301 early in this season. Um, they've, looking at their three point percentage, they've been 78th once and 131st once, but they've also been 224th to 320th right now. They're 294th his first year, and they've, even two point percentage, they haven't been higher than 130th in any of his seasons. So maybe it's Mike White. Um, yeah. I, that, that was my biggest concern in the season. This Florida team didn't have all the talent. You look at their top six. Like, it looks like Trey Mann might be out for the year. I, I saw that he had a very bad injury, so that's a, a big loss for them, the freshman. But their top six with Mann was Kerry Blackshear, Andrew Nemhard, Noah Locke, Keontae Johnson, Scotty Lewis, and Trey Mann. And these are either proven college players like Kerry Blackshear or very highly recruited players who also, in three cases, played well last year or decently last year for them. But the question was, could Mike White put it together? And the answer so far has clearly been no. no and they had, they were, again, they had high expectations last year, got off to a really sluggish start and just never recovered. They were terrible to watch. They had that brutal game against West Virginia last year. Uh, and then they ended up finishing at 20-16. and 16. They lost the last three games of the um, SEC regular season, and they rallied in the um, – SEC tournament to make uh, this was the semis against Auburn, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. uh, they won a game against another preseason overhyped team, Nevada, before falling to Michigan, and getting blown out in the tournament uh, last year as a ten seed. So they're a very uneven uh, performance by them uh, last year, and it started uh, again this year. And the, of course, the other thing in the SEC mm-hmm. we should talk about: can mm-hmm. you can you remember a more surprising result than Evansville winning in Rupp Arena against Kentucky? Well, I'm glad you segued there. That's where I was going anyway. We're in the SEC, and there's a team in Evan, in not in Evansville, in Kentucky that I uh, I had number one in my preseason rankings as the team most likely to win national title. I mean, of course, Michigan State has lost and not looked necessarily that good, and that's who most people had number one. But Kentucky, um, in that game, scored only 64 points against an Evansville defense that is fine, but only ranked 113th even after that. Um, they're an Evansville team that barely beat Ball State by four. They did beat Indiana Kokomo by 18, apparently. University of Indiana has a campus in the Caribbean. I didn't wasn't aware of that. Um, and coached by Walter McCarty, which is interesting. Um, and if you look at this game, 0.91 points per possession for Kentucky and only a 43% shooting inside against a team whose center is 6'9", and who's basically they go 6'5", 6'7", 6'9", across the front line. While Kentucky goes six nine six 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 eleven, but Nick Richards two for six on twos. He's been disappointment for three years now. Um, EJ Montgomery did not play. I, I guess that was because of injury, although he hasn't been very good either. Nate Sestina only took three two point shots the whole game. Khalil Whitney, who's this big stud freshman at six six, didn't take a two pointer the whole game. Um, so one wonders what's going on when Kentucky is playing a, mat- a mid American team and barely even getting shots inside and not making them when they take them, at least not by their uh, their bigs. Yeah, it was just a brutal game for Ashton Hagens, the sophomore. He had four. He was in foul trouble in and out all night. He had four fouls overall, 0 for 3 from outside, just 1 for 5 from – just well, sorry, 1 for 8 overall. Uh, really did not get going. Uh, he spent a lot of time on the bench. Um, the uh, Evansville team trailed one, uh, 3 nothing at 18-50 in the first half and had just a 1% chance of winning even after – uh, that started, and then they end up winning the game. So kind of a crazy um, crazy result for them to win at Rupp Arena. Um, Kentucky's schedule is soft for a little bit, then they have back-to-back tough games. They play Ohio State at the CBS Sports Classic, which I believe is in Las Vegas this year, and then they play Louisville uh, a week later at home in the uh, battle for the Bluegrass State. Um, mm-hmm. So they got it, and before they start their SEC play. So they got a little tricky schedule coming up. But, of course, they did beat Michigan State on opening night and looked really good doing it. Um, obviously we talked about Tyrese Maxey, Brendan, you were high on him and he scored uh, 26 points in that game and really took over down the stretch. 
yeah, I felt really good after that game. I felt smart. Um, and I still think that they might be the most like national champion. But one, EJ Montgomery, uh, let me look up what his injury is. I probably should know that before starting the podcast. But um, yeah, let's see. We have updates from uh, a couple updates on this. Both him and Ashton Hagens have been injured. Um, let's see. Montgomery. Oh, why can't I? He, they just put the injury in the first paragraph. Come on, guys. Anyway, he's injured. He's coming back soon, though. It looks like they're not going to be out for long. Ashton Hagens has also been banged up. Um, but they need more from EJ Montgomery. This guy's supposed to be a lottery pick. Um, and they need more from Nick Richards. Uh, be, and if Nate Sestine is going to be their best big, that's not a good sign. If you look at the guys on their team that are playing minutes and also have a, a large number of possessions, you have Ashton Hagens, who's played, who's got has a high possessions in the team. He's not been very good in doing it. He's actually been quite poor, but he's taken up possessions. I mean, you know, quickly, Tyrese Maxey, those are all guards. Um, and really, if you get to the guy like Keon Brooks, who's played less than half the minutes until you get to a guy who's gotten volume and minutes uh, in the front court, and Keon Brooks has not been good either. Like, uh, Richards has been fine when he's gotten opportunities, but he's also just like a low usage kind of guy, and Steen has been great at a very low usage. So it, it seems that they're going to be driven by their guards this year offensively. The defense should be very good. I don't have any question about the defense. It should be one of the best in the country. We thought maybe the best, but then Virginia, we've seen what they've done the first couple of weeks of the season as the national champions. Um, but the offense at Kentucky, I think, is uh, is a question mark, depending on Tyrese Maxey as really the one consistent high-volume uh, player as a freshman. Yeah, and you look at the SEC right now, Kentucky, obviously – uh, a little bit disappointing. Florida, of course, disappointed two and two. Tennessee, though, did get a nice win on Saturday. They beat Washington 75-62 in a neutral game. Uh, of course, they lost a ton of players from last year. Uh, Tennessee, um, Jordan Bone, Grant Williams, all those guys. Emerald Schofield are all gone, and here they are coming up and playing good for Rick, Bar- playing well for Rick Barnes, uh, and they're off to a good start. Um, and fifth to- in the country in three-point percentage. Yeah, this year. so maybe that'll correct itself but still a pretty uh, strong start for them. They were uh, 6 of 13 on Saturday, and that went over uh, Washington. So good job by uh, Rick Barnes' team so far. Yeah, we and we've seen, if we could transition from Washington, we saw Washington get a, a good early win in Alaska over Baylor by three. It looked like maybe they'd, they had put things together earlier than expected. Washington was one of those teams, kind of the opposite of Ohio State, that a lot of like the smart folks were kind of, um, poo-pooing, I guess you'd say, despite their uh, their talent with Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels, two of the top freshmen in the country, Quade Green, the transfer from uh, Kentucky, and then with the Mike Hopkins, who's a good coach, he knows how to run that two-three zone, which is difficult to prepare for and play against, and he's had success. He's had, his team has been better at Washington each year than they were supposed to be, but yet most people are kind of down on them despite the influx of talent because they didn't know that it would mesh together or that it would fit, uh, fit very well, especially after losing some of their uh, mainstays from last year, namely Noah Dickerson, Matisse Teibel, uh, David Crisp. Um, uh, and Jalen Noel also left. Uh, so they lost a lot from last year's team. But the first game, it's like, okay, well, they beat Baylor. Baylor's supposed to be one of the best teams in the Big 12. They had a nice comeback late in the game. Um, th- they had a 14-1 run to finish it out. Uh, Quade Green played and looked not great, but the defense was terrific, um, and they won. But then they come back and, and lose fairly convincingly to uh, to Tennessee. Uh, they again the offense is struggling. 0.86 points per possession. They've now um, not scored a point per possession in any of their games, even the game against Mount St. Mary's where they scored 56 points, 63 possessions. So their offense is down to 108th in the country, and one wonders with whether that will improve much. Uh, Will Quade Green is he good enough to be a point guard for this team? He's, he's more of a shoot first guy at Kentucky, and now they and they have two freshmen, um, and they're not been they've been turning it over way too much. Three hundred ninth in the country. They haven't been getting the foul line. They haven't been making foul shots when they get there, um, and one wonders whether they'll be able to have a, an efficient offense with the combination of characteristics they have so far. Yeah, not a good start uh, for their efficiency. Nor has it been a good start for the offensive efficiency of Virginia opponents this season. <laughs> Virginia is 3-0. They beat in Syracuse on a one of the uh, personally my favorite game of the season so far. 48-34. <laughs> uh, 
halftime. Oh, sorry, the final score against Syracuse. <laughs> then they beat James Madison, 65-34. And then the Columbia Lions, with a veritable offensive explosion, dropped 42 on Virginia. So if they had played the defense as well as Syracuse, they would have lost by six. Unfortunately, they gave up 60 and lost 60 uh, to 42. So really not a... Um, not a uh, not a great result by Columbia by any stretch, but certainly a, not a good sign when 40 for the other two opponents when Columbia comes in scores 42 and that's the highest against a Virginia team this season. They uh, their efficiency uh, has picked up right where uh, they left off last year. Yeah, the defense has been remarkable. Um, it almost doesn't matter who the players are. But at the same time. Cody Statman, great name, um, has come in as a sophomore and blocked shots. They've also gotten Jay Huff, who's played really well uh, as a big. They have a really solid eight-man rotation, actually, with um, Jaquite, Clark, Key, Casey Morsel, the freshman, our friend Cody Statman, as well as Tomas Waldetense, Justin McCoy, and Jay Huff. Um, And... Right now, if you look at the K-Poi, the Ken, Ken Pomeroy Player of the Year rankings, they have Mamadi Jakite fourth overall. He's been somewhat efficient at a very high usage, um, knocking down twos and really dominating the glass. And then Jay Huff is ninth um, in the in the K-Poi, even though he's not even one of the top five minutes guys on the entire team. He has made 70, 71% of his two-pointers and has, as we mentioned, blocked a lot of shots, hit the, hit the glass, um, and without committing fouls, both of those guys. So, you know, can this Virginia team, are they good enough to compete for the national title again this year? Uh, and their offense is actually not going to be good, but no. their defense is so good that they at least are gonna, probably going to get a pretty good seed and they'll be in the mix. Yeah, I think they will be in the mix. I think that they would also, I mean, they played a pretty soft schedule uh, and their best points per possession was 0.98 against Columbia. So they got the, the other end of the court as good as their defense is. They're going to have to score more than, uh, 0.98 points per possession winning game. Their schedule coming up, they got Vermont, UMass, Maine. Then they have uh, Purdue, I guess. That's, that's the northern the northern New England, yeah, uh, the, the New England yeah, triumphant. Yeah, yeah, but they're all in, coming to uh, – well, one's a neutral game, a tour in uh, Charlottesville. And then they play Purdue in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and they play another ACC game against North Carolina. That's a home game on December 7th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they go back out of conference again. So they got a little tricky set sent of the schedule. Purdue's been disappointed also. Uh the season to start off they lost to texas and marquette um so they're just two and two uh, one of the few top 10 teams to lose or top 25 teams to lose twice uh, to start things off but yeah virginia they uh they, we'll see i think i think their offense will grow into it the fact that their defense started off so strong uh is a very good sign for them i wonder what their lowest points per possession last year was i'm sure it was a terrible one point but um no last year they were much better they had a uh, 0.91 against uh, Wisconsin, but and point nine seven, but they, yeah. Otherwise, they were really, really good. So their offense has dropped off tremendously since last year. I thought maybe they'd have some more blips on the radar, uh, but I think their games this year would probably be their three worst from last year almost. So that's yeah. pretty crazy. If not, I do want to note that. Close. So a couple of notes on their schedule is one: the Vermont Vermont is uh, is a very good team that they're playing. I mean, probably not good enough to to beat uh, Virginia on the road. They did just beat St. John's by two. They're undefeated with wins also against St. Bonaventure and Bucknell, who are two pretty good teams. Speaking of St. John's, the Virginia when Virginia plays UMass, the winners and losers will play. That's in Uncasville at the Hall of Fame Classic in Connecticut. Um, and then the next day, I believe on that Sunday, they would play either St. John's or Arizona State, which is a rematch from one of the worst NCAA tournament games in history last year when the Giants and Arizona State played in the play-in games of the uh, the at-large play-in games of the NCAA tournament last year. Um, so they, I mean, those neither of those teams are going to probably be any harder of a game than Vermont, but um, uh, but they do they do have that other game in there. Yeah, so I, I, they'll be fine. We'd just like to see a little more offense out of Tony Bennett's bunch uh who have we not talked about that we want to talk about uh, well i want to spend about two or three minutes on just kind of giving my take on providence sure I know there's a few people listen for the friars talk um we've kind of did the overview already um and so you know part of for me is you know providence has been a solid team for many years under ed cooley they had a drop off last year when they had very poor point guard play and people thought this year with a better point guard whether it was Lloyd pipkins or david duke that they would be a pretty good team 
And then after the first two games, they looked actually quite good. The defense looked very good, and the offense, even against Sacred Heart, at least, that looked great. And you liked, and you thought, maybe this is a team that has the highest upside of any of Ed Cooley's teams. And so that's always disappointing when they basically face a zone against a really inexperienced Northwestern team last Wednesday and just couldn't do anything against it. Took way too many three-pointers um, and also allowed way too many points. Um, Providence in that game attempted 35 three-pointers, only made eight of them. And uh, Lewin Pipkins, in fact, was 3-for-11 and 3-for-15 overall um, in what was his poorest performance. So one wonders whether they'll be able to step up in the competition to the biggies. But so the question is, okay, we know Providence is good at defense, but we've also not been good at offense so far this season. They were under a point per possession against St. Peter's, a very bad team in their last game in a blowout win. And then they were well under against Northwestern and barely over against NJIT. The only game where they had a great offensive performance was when they shot the lights out uh, against Sacred Heart when they hit uh, twenty. Uh, sorry, 16 of 34 three-pointers. So what to make of it? Is it still going to be a bad offensive team, a good defensive team, kind of like last year, only less extreme, make the NCAA tournament, be a bubble team, or do they have more upside? So the, the, the naysayer in me says... Uh, We've, this is what we've seen in the past. Lon Pipkins is not that much better than what they had last year. Um, and Alpha Diallo is still struggling to take on a huge role in possessions and can't hit, knock down three-point shots. So really, they're limited by their offense. The glass-half-full person says, on the one hand, they've been dealing with injuries. Um, Nate Watson's been out the whole season. He's supposed to be a potential All-Big East player. He's on the Korean Abdul-Jabbar watch list at center. And Ed Cooley says he might be one of the most improved players in the country when he finally gets on the court. He should be back in the next week or so. Two, Greg Gant was injured most of the offseason. He's a freshman and has played well in spurts, but then also missed their last game for personal reasons, so maybe he's going to be part of the answer. Three, Emmett Holt is back. He missed almost two full seasons for a serious uh, intestinal and stomach issue that was life-threatening, and now he's back and actually playing quite well. He has their highest uh, offensive rating of anyone on the, on, the, uh, on the team. And then A.J. Reeves has never really bounced back from his injuries last year. We had a great start to last season, and he also has missed a game with an injury, and maybe he is not quite back to full strength. So maybe there's more to it than that. That's the positive look. The negative look, at, the, at worst, it seems like they're still a pretty good team that should make the tournament. But it, it, the loss Northwestern and the way they play it against the zone and the way their offense has been the last few games makes me think that maybe the upside isn't a top-20 team and a second-weekend team. Maybe it's still a team that wins a game in the tournament, and that's about as good as you can expect. So what do you make of the stylistic change, at least from uh, shooting the outside? Obviously, the three-point line is farther back this year, but this is an mm-hmm. uncharted water for an Ed Cooley team that should take more than 40% of the shots from behind the arc. The previous high and under him at Providence was 37.1. Uh, that was in 2016. They really are – he's not – doesn't seem like he's he's usually middle of the pack or slightly above average on three-point percentage, but now he's in the top, probably the type fifth uh, in the country. Is this sign just, just because of the way they play and they played a zone and one game it's skewed, or is this sign that uh, is a new new style for him based on his personnel? Well, I, I can't think it's a, the style based on the personnel because they're still not a great shooting team. Alpha Diallo has not been a great shooter in his career, and he's taken 24. Luan Pipkins has been a good shooter. He's taken 25, but neither one of them is shooting well this year. You know, David Duke is solid. Malik White is okay. And then A.J. Reeves should be okay, although he's only at 27%. I, I don't think we'll see this. This is not going to be a sustainable thing. They shot 34 in the first game against Sacred Heart, and then against NJIT they shot 30. Uh, only made nine, and then against Northwestern, as we mentioned, they only made eight of 35. And then I think what we saw the last game of St. Peter's be more of the norm, where they they made three of 14. Three is still very low, but 14 attempts at three versus 40 attempts at two. While more extreme, it sounds like Ed Cooley said, "Hey guys, this is ridiculous. Go inside." Um, and they did, and they only attempted uh, 14 three pointers for the whole game. I I think that. The offense will be better with more of a balancing three-point and two points. There will be games where they hit a bunch of threes and they'll win it because they have guys that can make them in streaks. But um, unless we see A.J. Reeves come back to what he was early in his career uh, or Lewayne Pipkins go back to what he was a couple years ago with UMass, uh, this team is probably not going to be a good three-point shooting team. Yeah, and their schedule coming up, they got Merrimack, then Pennsylvania at home, then they have Long Beach State. In a semi-away game, where is that game? Is that Uncasville also? That's No, that's in Anaheim um, at the oh. uh, whatever that is, the Bill Walton Invitational. That's, no, John Wooden Invitational, sorry. John, like Wooden Legacy. They'll play Long Beach State, which is kind of a – well, I guess Long Beach is not very good this year, 287th. Um, so that should be a win. If they do win that game, then they'll play the winner of Wake Forest, College of Charleston, a game I hope to be at next Friday. 
Um, and then the other side of that bracket is the better side of the bracket, which has uh, Penn and Arizona and UCF. Uh, and what's the what's the fourth team? Um, it's whoever you, you, Arizona places, plays first. The fourth team is uh, Pepperdine. So presumably they would probably get Arizona, Penn, or UCF in either the third place game or the final game. Uh, three years ago when they went to this tournament, they also played uh, Arizona. They played in the semifinals before losing to Michigan State, um, the like the Denzel Valentine Michigan State team in the final. Not as good a tournament in terms of the quality teams this year, but getting to the final and playing an Arizona team that's actually been really good would be uh, a good accomplishment, I think. So they could play Penn twice in a week. It's possible. Um, the reason all these teams are playing teams in that tournament on the other bracket, like Arizona plays Long Beach State before they go. So they're all playing. They get four... You get to count basically this tournament as one game on your schedule, but you can play four uh, kind of free games. And so they, everything's playing a fourth game before the tournament starts against a team they're unlikely to play in the other uh, side of the bracket. But in theory, you know, Penn is actually pretty good. Um, they did lose to uh, to Rice earlier this year, but they also beat Alabama. Right. Um, and, and they're one of the best teams in the Ivy League. And they also blew out LaSalle more recently. Um, so that's actually going to be a tough game for Providence on Saturday, uh, especially considering. Uh, how they play, how Providence is playing the last couple of games. But if Penn beats UCF and loses to Arizona, and Providence beats, say, um, Long Beach State and loses to College of Charleston, which is certainly possible, although the Friars will be favored in both those games, Penn could play Providence in the, thir- in the third place game. And they also have to, uh, Florida and Brooklyn, and then Texas uh, home game. Uh, before Big mm-hmm. East play starts. So yeah. and, and Rhode Island at Rhode Island will be oh, a yeah. tough game. Yeah. Um, the, the Providence has beaten them like seven of eight years, but um, or eight of nine. But the uh, URI is pretty good. They beat Alabama as well. I guess Alabama maybe is not that good. <laughs> They've already lost this year to Penn and Rhode Island. But um, uh, URI did lose by 18 to Maryland. Um, so I, I don't know what you can make of what Rhode Island is this year. But uh, they're they're decent at least. I think they're better than they were last year when when URI went uh, just 18 and 15 and finished 142nd in Kempom. Cool. Uh... Louisville, four and zero. Another team that's kind of not flown under the radar of the other uh, of the top ten teams. They have not played anybody of note except for uh, Miami of Florida in their ACC opener for the ACC network, and they do not really play anybody of note. I guess they play Michigan in a couple weeks, and then they get Texas Tech in a neutral game, and then they open their then they play Kentucky in the Bluegrass Showdown. So uh, Louisville. Number two ranked team in Ken Palm right now hasn't really been tested that much and is not going to be tested until they uh, really they're not going to play a tough uh, road game until they go to Kentucky. So interesting schedule by Chris Mack, uh, but the ACC is going to be tough, so he knows he'll get his games there. Uh, yeah, I do wonder if they play anyone else. I guess it's just a one game thing. They're playing Western Kentucky, and I thought maybe it was like part of a tournament, but it's just I think one game. Um, yeah. That's the perils of looking at the Ken Palm schedule. Yeah, you, sometimes you miss games in there. Yeah. Um, oh, my question to you is, this is more of a philosophical question. Yeah. What do you think of the ACC starting with games in conference the first week, uh, the first two days, really, of the season? Uh, I mean, we know why they did it, because to promote the network. But I think uh, kind of the network got buried because the biggest, the highest profile game played by an ACC team was Duke against Kansas. So... Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of also in the middle of college football season. I feel like those are still some big ACC games. Uh, there would have been, I, I don't know. It's tricky because I don't really like it. I don't, it seems weird when you play. Uh, it's just because we're, we're, we're used to though. Like if this were a normal thing where you open the season again with like a two, one or two big conference games, then you went away from it and then you came back to it. And then you also went away like and played a, a non-conference game, a big non-conference game in mid-January, like the ACC, sorry, the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Like, if we got used mm-hmm. to that, I think that would be fine. It would be, like, a special thing and be cool. So, it's just I'm not used to it. Um, mm. But, I mean, it's, I will say, it did bring us the Virginia-Syracuse game. So, maybe <laughs> that wasn't for the best. But uh, I get why they did it, to promote the network. I think it's just a, it's kind of strange uh, that they would do it that way. Most of the times, you get the big non-conference games. And then the business end of the schedule, you have the conference games. It happens in college football. It happens in... Um, Times in college football, as I said. So I don't know. I think it's – I'm a little uncomfortable with it, but it's not really that offensive. You play so many games in the ACC. If you lose one or two, you move one or two up to the beginning of the schedule. It doesn't make that big a difference. The Big Ten did it, yeah. did it a couple of years ago where they wanted to move the tournament up a week, so they played some in early December. Yeah, I think um, 
Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's what we're used to. I personally love to have all non-conference games first and then all conference games, just like split it up entirely. But on the other hand, this is not really how it was done for years. Like in the 80s and early 90s, there were a lot of non-conference games that were mixed in. Of course, there were a lot of more teams. One, there were smaller conferences, so we had fewer conference games. Two, there were a lot of teams that weren't in conferences, like teams like Notre Dame and DePaul and other teams like that that weren't even in a conference at the time. Um, and you had some teams from smaller leagues who were like national powers who wanted to play big teams like UNLV stands out as a team that was um, in a kind of a bad con- similar to ice Gonzaga now where you think Gonzaga might be more prone to want to play a really tough game out of conference during the conference season uh, I do think that it you know you want the college basketball season to kind of start with a bang and so I, I think having the champions champions classic first makes sense but I don't think having conference games makes sense. I think it would be fine. Champions Classic is like the big bang, start of the season. Maybe it would even be good to kind of culminate a 24-hour marathon with Champions Classic on the first day. I get why they don't do it now. Understandable. I don't like conference games in November, though, and I think I don't mind a couple in December as like kind of a amuse-bouche for the main <laughs> season. But to have it in the first game of the season, it just feels like you're, you're bound to have like an awkward result, a bad basketball, and something that doesn't really reflect the quality of the teams. Yeah, and I think there is something to be said for like let the teams get their feet under them first before they play a huge non-conference game that could determine who wins like a ACC regular season title, which still means a lot uh, to certain schools, just not do because they never do win the ACC. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, just something that... Yeah, I, I, I don't need it. I certainly don't need it. If it never happened again, it would be fine. I do like having the uh, the like February should just be all conference games, just big one one tough one tough schedule after another. Kind of like a couple years ago in Kentucky, or maybe last year, Kansas was playing Kentucky, and Kansas was really in the throes of the Big 12 race. It almost was like to me a mental break as a Kansas fan that they weren't playing a conference game because oh if they lose it it's not going to lose any games to any ground to Texas Tech. It's just a game for pride and for like you know seeding and obviously you want to win the game. But it was just kind of like a break, and I feel like part of the challenge of the schedule in the Big 12 and other some of these other conferences is just like day in, day out, Thursday or you know Monday, when Monday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, just playing conference games. There's no let up, and then you have a game where Kansas or Kentucky comes to Kansas or vice versa, and it's just kind of like a it's a break from the the uh, the schedule of playing all those that double round robin. I think it kind of messes it up. So I'm glad the Big 12 uh, stacks theirs back at the end of the uh, season. It doesn't play any teasers in. Uh, uh, December or November, even. Yeah, the the um, and the Big East is the same way. Although next year they'll be going to twenty conference games when they add to UConn, and they'll have a couple games in December. Um, well, they have they have a game. They always have a game like this, like New Year's Eve is kind of yeah. the tradition now for the Big East. But this will these games will be like earlier in December, like that first week or two before um, before winter break starts. The um, the worst yeah. before we get onto it. The worst conference scheduling in the entire country. Is we talked about Penn already. They open their Ivy League schedule with two games against Princeton, their arch rival, and never play them again. And that's not even. They then they go out of conference to play Big Five games, and they resume their conference schedule. Why are they playing Princeton twice? The f- one Saturday and then another Saturday, and then never see them again. They used to play them on Tuesdays. They used to play them one Tuesday after the first set of the round robins, and then they play them the last week of the last game of the season. They're playing Princeton twice. Uh, before they play anyone else in the Ivy League, and they're their arch rival, and they're done. Do better. Yeah, this and the awkward part of is that when I'm down there in class this year, Penn is out of is not is not have a home game while I'm on campus the entire uh, uh, the entire season. It's messed up. They're all, all their home games, all their uh, conference games went on there on those Friday Saturdays are road games, which is unfortunate. Um, uh, I do think we can spend a minute on the on the Ivy League. Uh, Harvard has started three and two. They've had uh, an interesting schedule. They haven't beaten anyone good. The best team they've beaten is Siena. Uh, they they lost into the court game by twelve to Buffalo, and they lost at Northeastern by five. Northeastern looked like they were a pretty good team, and then we saw them lose back to back games to UMass and Old Dominion. Not terrible losses, but not a sign of a team that's that's quite one of the best under Bill Cohen. The rest of the Ivy League, we talked about Penn. They've had some good games, some bad games, but they look like maybe the second-best team in that league. Yale at 2-2. Two and two, um, One of those wins is against Oberlin, but they they, do, they won at Stony Brook away. They beat uh, a decent San Francisco team on the road and then lost by only seven at Oklahoma State. Uh, and then you have Columbia, your alma mater, which has a win against Binghamton and three losses, uh, close losses to on the road to Wake Forest and Lafayette and then that game at Virginia. So maybe... Columbia is decent this year. Um, and then I'll mention one more, actually two more teams. Well, 
let's do all but Cornell. We don't talk about Cornell, yeah. but Brown Brown is three and zero. They had a great come from behind three point uh, make to beat Quinnipiac on last Wednesday and a big win for them. Mike Martin's been there for a while. He's had some competitive teams, but never a team that has really challenged in the Ivy League. Maybe this is the year where they're a little bit better. They have more experience. They're 28th in the country in experience uh, behind guys like Brandon Anderson and Tamanang Cho. Um, and then two more teams. Dartmouth is a surprising 4-1. Um, maybe not surprising, but they've been, they were pretty good last year, but they're 4-1. Uh, no standout wins except for one win at Buffalo, a win by five. That was start of the season. Um, and they beat a Merrimack team that uh, beat Northwestern, that beat Providence. So that's a win that you can talk about as well. And then the last team, maybe uh, most surprising, is Princeton at 0-3. The Tigers, of course, have had a tradition of having good teams. Um, and under Mitch Henderson, this is his now ninth season. Um, they have only made this tournament once in nine in if the first eight seasons, and they now have the worst Ken Palm of all the seasons there. The, the next worst was 192 years ago. And so if they don't improve a lot... They um, they might have the worst team that under the Mitch Henderson era. They lost at Duquesne by 27. They lost uh, at San Francisco by tw- by 10, and lost at home to Lafayette by seven. What are your thoughts on the Ivy League? Uh, let's just I'll take the f- last part first. Princeton just a disappointing just turn of events. This is a team that went 14-0 in the Ivy League in 2017 uh, and lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament as a 12 seed. And since then they have just fallen off the face of the earth. They were 190th in Ken Palm the next year, 175th, and out as you mentioned. 223rd. This is a team that was always really good, uh, and always, you know, it was basically the, for the 20 years ending in like the uh, in the mid 2000s. It was uh, until Harvard snapped the streak, or Cornell, excuse me, Cornell snapped the streak. Uh, it was just all Penn, Princeton, all Penn, Princeton, and this for Princeton to not live up to its end of the bargain just be terrible and really going in the wrong direction. Uh, just a, not a good sign uh, for the Tigers, and just kind of disappointing because Princeton is the team. You know, they play the famous Princeton offense. They're a team that's the kind of the standard bearer for the league in many ways, and is always viewed as a dangerous team uh, in the NCAA tournament when they get there. And just for them to come out and really just not compete in um, their game so far has just been disappointing. Columbia always loses close games. Uh, they're their three losses, the Virginia game was a uh, blowout. They lost by 18, but their other two losses were by a combined four points. They really should have beaten Lafayette on opening night. In a road game, it would have been a nice win. They went to Wake Forest, who obviously is terrible for the ACC, but still an ACC team, and really hung with them there. So that's encouraging, but it would just be nice if Columbia won one of those games. Uh, they have a St. John's road game coming up on Wednesday of this week, which will be interesting. And then they really do not uh, play a tough non-conference schedule opponent the rest of the way. They have Duquesne on December 9th. Uh, and that's the only team inside the top 100 in Ken Palm that they will play the rest of the year after St. John's. Excuse me, Harvard they'll play. Uh, but that's obviously in um, Ivy League play. Jim Angles has come here from NJIT. This is now his fourth season uh, with Columbia. He This is probably his best team if you go by the Ken Palm ratings, but he's been solidly 200s. Columbia is a really tough place to win. Uh, we've seen it before. Kyle Smith did a great job before moving on. Uh, Joe Jones. Uh, did a great job, uh, did an okay job really, you know, riding the ship after the Armand Hill era back in the early 2000s. Uh, so Columbia does have two former head coaches still coaching in the college ranks because uh, Joe Jones is at BU, and of course Kyle Smith is at Washington State after a stop in San Francisco. Um, so it's not the graveyard of coaches, but it's just really um, tough to see uh, this Columbia team it's like it's at the point right now where like a winning record in the Ivy League is an amazing accomplishment. Angles has been five and nine in the Ivy League's first three seasons. Um, this the league is not that great at the bottom, so maybe he could sneak to seven and seven, eight and six. Uh, we'll see. Uh, it's his fourth year here, and there really is some time to see some growth uh, for Columbia. Uh, there are a couple other games of note on their non-conference schedule. They they have a neutral game against Ryder coming up on Saturday. Ryder's one of the favorites in the Metro Atlantic, and then Colgate. It won the Patriot last year. They go to Colgate, which will be... I mean, there's no gimmies for a, a school program like Columbia, but those would be interesting games as well. But yeah. speaking of the Pac-12 um, and Kyle Smith at Washington State, let's go out there because they have had... I know we talked about Washington's up-and-down start, but the conference as a whole has had a pretty good start. Um, there was uh, someone on Twitter who predicted that the Pac-12 for the season would have three teams in the Sweet 16 and six in the NCAA tournament, and I thought that was ridiculous, but... <laughs> They might have six in the NCAA tournament. Three and sixteen is going to be really hard, but they have had a pretty good start to the season. Arizona's been very impressive. Um, the the 
21-point win against Illinois is notable, although it was quite it was much closer than that most of the way, and there was some questionable officiating. But um, uh, Zeke and Jai, Nico Mannion, Josh Green, Max Hazard gives him like a really good top four players, and even Jamal Baker, who I, th- I think is a former Kentucky player, is uh, coming off the bench for them and providing uh, a good offense. Um, they're currently up to 11 in Ken Palm. Uh, they don't. They again play in that tournament that Providence is in in, in Anaheim, and they also play at Baylor uh, and at home against Gonzaga before the conference season starts. Um, Oregon is a team that's undefeated. They're four and zero. They blew out a pretty good Boise State team by thirty one. They beat Memphis at home by eight. Uh, they won the other two games by double digits. So that's a team you have to watch out for under Dana Altman. Peyton Pritchard has had a terrific start to the season. He's tenth in the Ken Palm Player of the Year ratings. Um, and as at the as point guard, he was a kind of a breakout player late last season for them. Um, and Dana Altman with that funky zone, he can win a lot of games that way. Um, so, what do you think of the Pac-12? Any other thoughts on the top of the league or the depth of the league? Do you think it's turned things around a little bit or, or what? Well, it definitely can't be worse than last year. So I'm happy to see that it's playing well. Uh, Oregon, uh, that is a good win against Memphis. That was with um, James Wiseman in the lineup before he. Uh, and Memphis decided he was going to be ineligible for the time being. Um, so that was a solid win uh, for Oregon. Dana Altman's team is very dangerous, as we know. They took out Kansas in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago. Uh, they have a tough game against Houston coming up on Friday um, in a home, home affair. Um, so the Pac-12 has obviously turned the corner. I don't think there's obviously a truly elite team. I'm not necessarily sold on uh, Arizona at the top, but Oregon, I think, is good. And you just have just, just not a bunch of uh, garbage uh, for most of the league. I mean, you have like, you know, we don't have, I mean, Washington state is now the worst team in the league, according to Ken Baum, And we know that Kyle Smith is going to have them play better, uh, than the worst team in the league last year, which was uh, California, which is just an ab- absolute disgrace last year. So like, it's, and even California under Mark Fox are three, you know, to start the BU yeah. and LV in overtime. So and, yeah. I think we're going to have to cut down on the, uh, PAC 12 jokes this year. I don't know. I mean, it's still clearly the distant, um, six of the power six conferences um if you look at the ken palm rankings i don't really see that changing i know the sec has struggled a little bit uh the big Ten's fine obviously the sec uh big east is right now ranked second but i think that is going to come down as you kind of hinted at uh but the pac-12 uh not a national disgrace so that's where we'll leave it at for now we'll, we'll, the jury's out i'd like to see how arizona plays oregon's got a couple of good games coming up they play at uh, michigan uh we talked about the houston game they play Seton hall um and that's the battle for Atlantis. That's the start of a really good tournament. Yeah, so they uh, they have a, a very good uh, schedule, and we'll learn a lot more about them. So if Oregon comes through that stretch pretty well, then I'll be really impressed, and we'll see how what happens uh, as the conference season goes on. Their defense is very good, and they do not – I mean, it's a little bit inflated by their three-point defense, but uh, I will be uh, very interested. I'll be keeping an eye on this Oregon team, which is now ranked 20th in uh, Ken Palm. Yeah, the only – conference of note that we really haven't talked about much probably is the AAC. Uh, it's notable primarily because of the James Wiseman sitting out, not sitting out. Did he take an unfair benefit, etc., etc., etc. I don't have too many takes on that, uh, but Memphis is 3-1 and one with the aforementioned loss to Oregon. I think we're doing a pretty good job with the segues going from team to conversation. Wichita State's 3-0 and in the AAC. We heard we talked about Connecticut's win against Florida. Uh, which was surprising. Uh, Houston, as we mentioned, they're only one and one. They lost a one-point home game to BYU, um, so they might be. Well, it's only one game, so who can say? But uh, no, no one in the AAC is in the top twenty in Ken Palm, but they do have uh, those four five teams I mentioned: Cincinnati, Houston, Memphis, Wichita State, and Connecticut, all in the top eighty. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Connecticut did beat Florida. That game lost a little bit of its um, luster just because of how. Poor Florida look to start. They also gave up 96 points at home to St. Joseph. So um, apparently uh, Dan Hurley was on the f- phone with his assistants till 2 in the morning after that game trying to go through what went wrong. I can see why it was a long phone call, but maybe just call it a night at some point and uh, get him the next time. Uh, what time did that game or, start? Maybe get on like blue jeans or Zoom or something. Like he used to see each other. Yeah, like, I need a phone call. I just on. heard this from Matt Lord- Mortlander on the uh, Iron College Basketball Podcast. But to give up 1.14 points for possession to a St. Joseph's team that's uh, also lost to Loyola Chicago and Old Dominion at home. Not a great result. So let's uh, pump the brakes. Oh, let's just I'll not pump the brakes because I don't think people are really going crazy about Connecticut. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll wait and see with 
them. And uh, yeah, Wichita State obviously suffered a uh, down season last year, but now they're 3-0. Um, do they have any good tournament? Do they have a good tournament coming up? They, uh, they have Oklahoma State and Oklahoma back-to-back. Um, when, uh, mm-hmm. So that'll mm-hmm. be an interesting uh, set of games for them. They have South Carolina neutral. That probably is our tournament. That's in Riviera Maya, Mexico. Yeah. Um, so that what tournament? Uh, what tournament is in the Riviera Maya, Mexico, uh, tournament basketball? Doing some real time. A Cancun Challenge, Ooh. of course. Go to CancunChallenge.net for all your Cancun Challenge information. The 2019 field. Uh, let's look at the bracket. Loading the PDF. Okay. On one side, we have UT Martin Gardner Webb and BU against Northern Colorado. Okay, not the, and then the other side of the bracket, you have Wichita State, South Carolina, Northern. Oh, it must be it's 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 tears. Okay, I get it, I get it now. <laughs> I thought I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> like, so the the good part of the bracket is the um, Wichita State plays South Carolina and Northern Iowa plays West Virginia. So Wichita State will have a chance to play a couple of good teams. Northern Iowa, I think uh, I haven't seen what they've done this so far this year. We can look in a second, but they should be pretty decent. Um, and then. Which West Virginia isn't great, but they've gotten rid of Press Virginia, which was really the whole thing of Press Virginia was it was really Javon Carter, right? That's that's his name. Yeah, they got the right name. Current right? Phoenix yeah. Sun playing actually decent in the NBA for yeah. the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, Javon Carter is basically Press Virginia. So it, like um, when he left, so did Press Virginia. Virginia is now playing. Virginia is playing now a, a better, a, a more fitting style to, to um, Bob Huggins. They're two and zero. They had a good win at Pittsburgh by fifteen. And Northern Iowa, which is a team that might end up being the team that Michigan State plays in, in the second game, there is four and zero. They're looking like one of the best teams in the Missouri Valley under Ben Jacobson with wins against Old Dominion and Northern Illinois. Um, not a terrible schedule so far. Uh, well, not a really hard schedule, but their defense looks actually quite good. Um, ben Jacobson's been there forever. How long has he been there? He's been there. This is his 14th season in Northern Iowa. Wow. Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Not a big. What do you see up ahead? Anything uh, going on? This yeah. is not a good week. I was just about to say this is not a very big week for college football. I mean, college basketball. I know that they have the. I think the teams really front load their schedule next week for the tournaments. They're all traveling, so maybe teams play uh, one or two uh, big games here. Do you know the top ranked? game on fan match this week on Ken Palm the whole week from Monday I was looking Sunday. it was like Georgetown Texas is that Georgetown right? Texas no. is up there and Utah State versus LSU in Jamaica is the uh, mm. highest fan uh, match Jamaica Queens no not that I know of. I think it's the other Jamaica one. West Indies yeah I think that's the correct one so then we obviously have then we start really getting into um, full swing of college basketball because we have the tournaments and uh, Hawaii and Maui and all those I guess Maui's in Hawaii but you get the idea like across the uh, Caribbean you know across the country and then you have the, uh, the Jimmy V Classic and then you have the ACC Big Then Challenge and before you know it it's New Year's Eve and Providence is playing Georgetown so right that's who they play on yeah. New Year's Eve yeah sounds right yeah yeah. and then we have the Big 12 Big East I don't know what they call it a challenge but that will be right around Christmas yeah which will, I, I'm not sure if it's if it's all in like one stretch but um but there are a bunch of good games in the, in that stretch, um, including Providence, Texas, Kansas, uh, Villanova. Kansas, yep. Villanova. Um, I'm trying to think of what are the other games in that stretch. I th- I, and it's not quite as organized and tight in terms of like what days it's on. But um, yeah, you have uh, Villanova, Kansas, Butler, or Butler, Purdue. That doesn't count as part of it. But um, I think DePaul is playing Texas Tech, which actually might be interesting. Xavier is playing TCU, which I guess is interesting. Um, yeah. So and that's leading up to the week of uh, of Christmas. Uh, we also have Ohio State, Kentucky. That that's in the, that Las Vegas tournament. Correct. That, yes, that, that means, you've been to in the past. Yeah, North Carolina plays UCLA in that the other game there. They just wrote it's the it's like the Champions Classic, but different teams, and it not to tip off the season. So yeah. yeah, it's what UCLA, Ohio State, North Carolina, and Kentucky. Yeah. So Kentucky gets in both. That's kind of not fair. They yeah. Should, I guess who else would you put? They could put Villanova in that one. They could. I, well, I, we we argued earlier that Villanova should bump Michigan State from the Champions Classic, having more titles than Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. by the way, North Carolina, I would argue, is the best team we had not mentioned until just 30 seconds ago or 15 seconds mm-hmm. ago. Uh, oh yeah, Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony, man, yeah, pretty good. And uh, number one in the in the Ken Palm Ken Poi rankings. Yeah, yeah. they beat uh, Notre Dame in the ACC opener. Then they smoked UNC Wilmington and beat Gardner Webb, who's not quite as good as Gardner Webb's been in years past. Have they ever yeah, been good? And they they play Alabama coming up, which doesn't look as interesting as it was yeah. previously. But that's part of that might be part of the Atlantis tournament. Let's see where is that game? That's the first day of a of a Thanksgiving tournament. So I'm 
Yeah, that's in Atlanta. So let's take. I think we'll probably get to the podcast maybe next week. Hopefully. We'll see. Yeah. Before uh, these tournaments, maybe on Monday or Tuesday. Monday. I'm am flying on Monday, but maybe we can get it in sometime Monday night. I, I arrive in the afternoon in LA. Um, but uh, the battle for Atlanta, we should talk about it just briefly. As you mentioned, a bunch of the teams and a bunch of the games there. Michigan, Iowa State. Michigan obviously bit the big win against uh, Creighton. Iowa State has. Um, uh, as they, they might be one of the worst teams in the Big 12, but that's still pretty good. UNC Alabama, Alabama with a weak start. Gonzaga, Southern Miss, and then Seton Hall, Oregon. Seton Hall, Oregon, one of the best first-round games you're ever going to see in a tournament. But that starts on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. It should be uh, – it's, it's sponsored by Bad Boy Mowers, of course. Of course. Which – because if you think, you think the Bahamas, Atlantis, you think, you think lawn mowers. That's really the next thought out of your, out of your head. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. What else you got, Tom? That's basically it. I'm looking forward to uh... – some good college basketball, if not this week, then next week, and some uh, maybe some upsets this week. Maybe there's another Evansville, Kentucky, uh, mm. coming around the, the corner. Purple, the purple aces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, until that time, I, I hope we talk in a week or so, and that you have a great uh, next few days, and that um, you know Kansas and Providence and Northwestern, I guess Columbia, we all have some good wins to speak of next time. See you later. Later. for the lead or a tie. They go to the rim. For three, no! Loose ball in the corner. Three seconds to go. Oh my goodness! At the other end, Haluska off the rim. Northwestern wins!